Okay, so this is just to remind you, um, you know, many people have commented to me that they, they, they now, now these cities, excuse me, mean something to them. They are, um, they're seeing them each week. Remember, where we are here is, uh, this is all, all today is taking place right here in Hebron. This is the place where uh, Isaac had settled, and then Jacob moved down to be with him. Jacob's been there with him for about one year now, here in Hebron. Uh, next week, we'll cover uh, this this moving up to Shechem, where, where the, they were shepherding their flocks. But uh, right now, we're, we're, we're just here in Hebron. And these, these were the approximate ways that they traveled. Uh, see, it says the way to Shur. And so they would, they would stay along these. These were generally like in a wadi, so a, a, a sort of a, a place where water would run off. And if you're not in the rainy season, it's a much easier place to walk than over, <clears throat> over very high hills and everything. And so it was kind of smoothed down in there. If it, was the rainy, if it were the rainy season, then they would have to uh, uh, do something different. They'd have to stay out of the wadis. And in fact, even to this day, every year there's people drown in Israel because they'll be hiking and they'll be walking in a wadi, and the rains will open up in some of the mountains, and water comes down so fast through those wadis that every year there are people that die that were just out hiking because the water in the wadis can rise so fast. Uh, so if you're ever hiking in Israel in the rainy season, which is the winter time, uh, uh, you have to be particularly careful. But anyway, the whole thing is taking place in Hebron. Uh, today. We talked about this last time. These were the notes on the ages in Genesis, and we said specifically that at this time, part we're going over now is that, um, is that J- J- Joseph is 17 years old at this time. So it's 11 years since he left Padan Aram. Uh, uh, he was six years old when his mother had died. Uh, Benjamin was, is now 11 years old because Benjamin, she, gave, she died, Rachel died, she was giving birth to Benjamin. Reuben is the oldest brother at 24. Uh, all nine brothers from uh, uh, Jacob's four wives are then the other nine are 18 to 23. So uh, we talked about this last time, and I want to mention this again, that the New Testament doesn't really describe Joseph as a type of Messiah or as a type of Christ. There are extreme analogies, four mentions of him, in John, in Acts, in Hebrews, and in Revelation, never use him as a type of Christ. They'll use Moses, they'll use the temple, they'll use Jonah, manna, many other things, but nothing specific. But we certainly see relations there. Uh, again, he was never characterized as sinning. I'm sure he was a sinner, but it, it paints a very good picture of him. We talked about that, that colorful tunic. Uh, again, he had no special revelations. The dreams that we're going to cover today were dreams that were not a special revelation. He never sees God. He never hears God. All he's able to do is act upon the record, the record that he has passed down from his father and from his grandfather, who he also knows, that, that of the things of God. That's the only instruction he has. He never, it's not like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that had, all had these special revelations. Okay, so now Joseph is 17 years old. He's been motherless since the age of six. So for 11 years, he's been, he's been motherless now for 11 years. He's had three stepmothers and 10 older brothers from those three stepmothers. Rachel had had enormous discord with her sister Leah, yet Rachel was clearly the dominant one. And she even was the wife who decided 
with whom Jacob would sleep. So he had, there were four wives. She decided, and we saw that as we looked in Genesis chapter 30, in particular in, in verses 15 and 16. It was a, it was a really dysfunctional home at that time. And uh, she was even deciding that, but she was clearly the dominant one. This is important to realize because she's the dominant one and now she's been dead for 11 years. So the other three stepmothers might be treating uh, Joseph very differently now than he had been used to when his mother was alive. So he doesn't have this motherly protection. And that might explain why his father was so protective of him and treated him in such a special way. The other thing to realize is this. Jews always in the Bible interpret their own dreams. If Jews had a dream, they interpreted it themselves. Never one Jew for another, and never a Gentile for a Jew. Jews do interpret dreams for Gentiles. For example, Joseph to the cupbearer, to the baker, to Pharaoh, Daniel for the kings of Babylon. And why is this? Well, in Romans chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. So Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And it's in that we see that Jews would have dreams and they'd interpret their own dreams. Or they'd interpret it for Gentiles, but never a Gentile for a Jew. God brought the oracles of God through the Jews. That's the way it went in the Old Testament. That's the way it came forth. Now, there are things that are said by Gentiles. In, so, for example, Nebuchadnezzar says things. Those are well documented. Uh, uh, and and uh, he makes proclamations. Uh, King, King Cyrus makes proclamations. But in general, the, procla- the, the oracles were brought forth by the Jews. So, with that backdrop, I'm going to stop sharing the screen and we'll look at the scriptures. So, let's look at... <coughs> Genesis chapter 37, Genesis chapter 37, and let's pick it up from verse 3, and then we'll read on through verse 11. Genesis 37, verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, he had, <clears throat> he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the sayings in mind. So, remember his brothers hated him. His father made him a very colored tunic, which signified that he had now been given the birthright because his oldest brother had slept 
with one of one of Jacob's concubines, one of Jacob's concubine wives, and uh, and he lost his birthright as a result of that. And we see that underscored in Genesis chapter 49. So he's appointing Joseph now to have the birthright, and that's what that tunic meant. And and we talked about this loving more than his other brothers, which makes sense because the other brothers were absolute tyrants. They had killed off an entire city. Uh, one had just slept with one of the concubines. And they're going to be plotting in the same time period, while he's still 17, they're going to be plotting his death. <clears throat> so they were unusually uh, uh, evil people. And it's quite interesting. It's from these 12 brothers that all of Israel comes. And so if you think that, that, that God can't work with, with, uh, with evil people, I mean, God works with evil people all the time. You're looking at one of them. And God takes and he cleans us up and he washes us and he cleanses us by his blood. <clears throat> Verse 5, it says, it says uh, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So you see in verse 4, it says they hated him. When he told them the dream, they hated him even more. So the hatred did not get less. The hatred did not stay the same. The hatred increased. It's clear the hatred increased. And you see in verse 8, the second half of verse 8, it says, So they hated him even more. So they hated him, they hated him more, and they hated him even more. Hatred does not remain static. Hatred increases. Hatred increases. It will consume you. Hatred will consume you. And that's why in the New Testament, in the New Testament, it is clear what the New Testament says. That, that, uh, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. And the context of this is when your enemy is doing you harm. You overcome evil with good. If you are finding yourself hating somebody, it's not that, okay, well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll just forget it. No, you don't just forget it, nor do you remain neutral in it. The Bible specifically tells us what we have to do. It says you overcome evil with good. You have specific acts of good toward that evil that's being done against you. If you can't get near the person because they want to kill you, you are obliged to do something good for them so that that obligation may mean that you have to pray for them. Yes, you have to pray for the one who means you evil. That is what it says because evil increases. Uh, 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 C.S. Lewis puts it this way. So the Jews were in Germany. The Germans hated them. So what did the Germans do? They started calling them things and they started making it hard for them. Did that passivate their hatred? No, it made it worse. So they started throwing stones through their storefront windows. That didn't relieve their hatred for the Jews. That wasn't enough. Soon they had to take the Jews and they put them in ghettos. So they took them out of those neighborhoods and they put them all in ghettos. And you think, okay, well, that will passivate, that will satisfy their hatred. No, it caused them to hate them more. So they sent them away to concentration camps. Do you think that that will satisfy it? No, that didn't satisfy it. They sent them, they had to then send them into the furnaces and kill them and burn them. What happens is hatred spawns hatred. We, the Bible tells us specifically in the New Testament how to do that. It says you overcome evil with good. If somebody hates you, you're obliged at least to pray for them. And I've told you this before. I'll tell it again. 
when I see people tell me that my boss dislikes me or these people at work dislike me, I say, you have to now. You are obliged as a believer to do them an act of good. You find out what they enjoy, you buy them that. You buy them, you buy them things that they enjoy. You buy them, if they like a certain type of Starbucks coffee, you buy them that and you bring them that and you surprise them with that. That's what we are obliged to do. You're obliged to speak nicely to people that hate you because you overcome evil with specific acts of good. It is not a neutral thing. It is an active thing or else hatred rises. So that's what we see in that. Their, their hatred was rising. And so he had a dream and he told it to his brothers. Now think about what Joseph's dreams are. You dream about things, you dream about things that you think about. If you have ever fasted for three days or more, you will know what I'm talking about. When you're fasting for a few days, what do you dream about? You dream about food. In your sleep, you will dream about food. You will dream about cake. You will dream about eating meat. You'll dream about protein. You'll dream about food. When you're fasting, you dream about that which you're thinking about all the time. You dream about it. So look at what Joseph's dreams are. They're characteristic. So, so I have an older brother. He's two years older than me. He made my life miserable. It was miserable. I remember times he would hold me down and punch my legs so hard, I would stop even fighting. I would stop even fighting back. I would just close my eyes and think that I was going to die. And, and uh, I just had one, I have an older sister, but she never bothered me directly in that way. My brother just tor- tortured me, just absolutely tortured me. This guy had 10 older brothers, all from other wives, who those mothers, who those other wives had had real controversy with Joseph's mother, and now Joseph's mother was out of the picture. Imagine what this kid was going through, because remember, these guys are short, they hate him, number one. Number two, they're shortly from this time going to start planning his death, planning his murder. They're going to plan his murder. Imagine how much they must have beat him up, how much they must have criticized him. He's the youngest of them by several years, so so Reuben is 24, he's 17. Imagine all his life from the age of six, he has no mother to protect him. That may show why his father was somewhat protective of him because he had no mother protecting him from, from this. And mothers are usually the ones who are watching out for the welfare of their children all the time. And, and uh, uh, so anything he did, it's like, oh, you little weakling, is that all you can carry? Is that all you can do? So what's his first dream? So his first dream is this. So he tells this dream to his brothers. Uh, um, uh, it, it says, it says in verse, in verse six, he said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. It's not like, yo, listen up. I got it. I got something I got to tell you. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, please listen to this dream. If you read it in the King James, it would say, I pray thee. If you look in the Young's literal, I pray you. That is please. He is appealing to them. He's speaking to them on nice terms. He's saying, I want you to listen to this dream. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. So that's when you, so remember, it was, it was, uh, his, his, uh, his, so it was, it was, uh, um, Isaac who first started farming. 
Abraham had never farmed. Isaac started farming, so in, actually, actually it discusses this in chapter 26, verse 12. During a famine, he was in Gerar. So his grandfather was in Gerar during a famine. Isaac was in Gerar de- during a famine. And he started farming for the first time. In his first year farming, in a famine, it said he had a hundredfold increase. You know what a hundredfold means? It means two orders of magnitude. It means a hundredfold increase in his first year farming. Look at the blessing that God can drop upon you. When you understand God's blessing, you're like, Lord, bless me. I mean, God's blessing is extreme. So they started farming at that time. It started with his grandfather. So they're farming. So they're binding sheaves of grain. We don't know exactly what is sheaves of grain. So when you put these in bundles, his bundle is bigger than all the others, it says. And it stood up. So it's so big, it can stand up. On its own. It's not, it's not just a flimsy little thing. The other ones sag over. Why is he thinking about this? Well, probably because he can bind less than everybody else because he's not as strong as everybody else. And, and, uh, they can bind bigger sheaves and they've probably made fun of him his whole life because he, he, he can't do as much work as they can because he was always younger than them. But he says, my sheaf stood, stood erect and yours bowed down to me. Your sheaves bowed down to me. Verse 8, then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for the dreams and for his words. So the scriptures tell us again, you know, on the same point, when, when Jesus had given a parable, Jesus had given a parable in, in, in Matthew chapter 21, and he talked about a landowner, and he sent, and the landowner sent people to get the proceeds, and, and they killed these people, and then he sent his son, and they killed the son, and Jesus said, so these things. And then it says that when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, in, in, this is in Matthew 21, 40, 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees, uh, chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. So the wicked can understand. The wicked can interpret. The wicked in Jesus' day interpreted what Jesus was saying. Jesus gave a parable and they knew right away he was speaking about them. And as a result of that, it says, when they heard, when they... When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. They wanted to kill him right there when he said this. They wanted to kill him right there. And so they realized immediately, and this had happened at other times, when Jesus was speaking in in his first preaching in a a synagogue where it's referenced, when he talked about uh, some scriptural passage, they realized he was talking about them and they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. His brothers realized and they interpreted the dream correctly. They interpreted it correctly and it made them hate him even more. And then verse 8, verse 9. Now he said, now he had still another dream and he related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Now, why would he keep telling them these dreams? Well, He's 17. 17 17-year-olds don't think real well about ramifications of things. They just kind of do things. All right? That's number one. Number two, he's not a politician. He's, 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 He's like a prophet. I mean, he's just speaking the word. And he's doing it quite innocently, not realizing what all this might, might, might do to him. 
And he's just telling them these dreams, but these were vivid dreams. <clears throat> so what's his second dream? His second dream is that he is there, not as a star, not as a sun, not as a moon. He's there. He's just standing there. And now this, the, all these stars and the sun and the moon are bowing down to him. And there's 11 stars. So those are 11 brothers and they're all bowing down to him. So that's his dream. What might this mean? Well, think about it. If you're getting beat up and picked on every day, <clears throat> won't you long for the day that, you know, one of these days I'm going to grow up and uh, you're not going to pick on me anymore. You know, you long for something. You dream about what you long for. This is just the way life is. You dream about what you long for. And he's dreaming about this. So imagine his self-esteem at the age of six, his mother dies. His mother dies at the age of six, when he's six years old. He's growing up motherless in a home with three stepmothers who don't like him very much at all. Because his mother had been very hard on them. And he's growing up motherless. And imagine his self-esteem in this thing. And all of a sudden, he views himself as all these others are bowing down to him. This is a guy who has been ridiculed. This is a guy who has low self-esteem. And all of a sudden, he's viewing himself <clears throat> with, with, with everybody's bowing down to him. This is a beautiful picture of what, what the body of Christ is. This is a beautiful picture of, of what we see <clears throat> in the scriptures. You know, what it talks about. So, so um, in... in, uh, in let me see here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. And I love this portion. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. It says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. So if you are in Christ, there is a good chance that you too have suffered from low self-esteem. Now, if that never happened to you, Fine. Just, just, just think that it's it, you're, you're you're really blessed. But it's happened to a bunch of other people. God says, "I specifically chose you because you're not mighty and you're not noble. That's why I chose you specifically because of that." God has chosen. It says in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 1, "The foolish things of the world and to, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise," and God has chosen the weak things of the world, to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before the Lord. God specifically chooses the weak. And he says, I'm, I'm going to work with that person. So if you think, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're kind of weaker than the rest, and you've never had, God specifically chose you for that reason. This guy, imagine the abuse he went through. I had one older brother and he made my life miserable. And uh, um, uh, I was really happy the day that, that, you know, I started boxing when I was, when I was uh, 14. And, and uh, it wasn't long after that. By the time I was 15, we had one fight and he never messed with me again because I was, I was undergoing training and he, he wasn't a trained fighter. And, and, uh, uh, and so, so, it was so liberating, so liberating to be from out, out of under his hand. But imagine what this guy has with all of these older brothers. <clears throat> and look at what happens. God gives him this dream that I'm going to deal with your self-esteem thing as well. 
All of this is going to happen. And then his father, it says, <clears throat> it's, 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 it says in, in verse 10, he related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him. Now that word rebuked, I looked it up in the Young's literal version. This is a bit strong of a word, rebuked. Young's literal word, version says, his father pushed against him. Pushed against him. So he, 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 he's just saying, whoa, whoa, you know, be careful what, what you say to your brothers like this. He's, it's, he's almost just telling them, you know, just slow down. Very often when I have some young undergraduate working in my lab, I just have to say, okay, just, just uh, uh, calm down a little bit. Calm down. <clears throat> and, and, uh, and it says, what is this dream you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him. Now that word jealous is a little bit nice. If you look that up in the word, literal version, it says his brothers were zealous, zealous against him. Zealous against him. That means it's like they're filled with zeal against him. They were really against this guy as a result of this second dream. <clears throat> and his father kept the saying in mind. It says, in, in the Young's literal, it says, his father watched the matter. His father believed something was going to come of this. So he's watching for the matter. He says, wow, this is interesting. Here this guy has these dreams. But what's interesting is this. When young people dream, <clears throat> what do we dream about? We dream about when you're young, you dream about your career. If you're in school and you're, you think about, uh, you know, I'm going to be graduating, going to graduate school, I'm going to have this career. What's it going to be like? And I remember I used to dream, you know, you know when I become a professor, what's it going to be like? Am I going to be successful? I used to always think, am I going to be, Lord, am I going to be successful? Because I had this impression that everybody around me was smarter than me. I don't know if you've ever ha had that feeling. But here I was in school with all of these amazing people, and I felt, you know, we would have these problem sets. We'd have group meetings in the evening, and, and there were these problem sets that would go up. And they always knew the answers before me. And, and I thought, how do you know all of this stuff? It's like you've been studying organic chemistry since you were in kindergarten. I mean, how do you know all of this? And how am I going to be able to compete against you guys? Because we were all vying for academic positions. I'd never be able to compete against these folks. And, uh, and so what God does is he chooses us out of our weakness. You see, this guy dreamed about all the successes he was going to have, all the greatness where his brothers were going to bow down to him, where his work pro product was going to be greater than all the rest. And that actually ends up happening because in chapter 39 of Genesis, verse 23, it says that whatever Joseph did, whatever he put his hand to, the Lord blessed it. Whatever he put his hand to, the Lord blessed it. So you know what I pray? I pray, Lord, make me like Joseph. Whatever I put my hand to, bless it. Bless it, Lord. Listen, if you don't want to take the word of God and extract from that a blessing and call that down upon yourself, that's fine. Just tell the Lord, I don't have faith for that, but whatever I'm missing out on, give it to Jim Tour. Just tell him that. I'll take it. Give it to me. I'll take it. Lord, whatever, whatever you don't have, whatever these folks don't have faith for, I'll have faith for it. Don't let those blessings go to waste. I'll take them. Lord, I'll take them. I really believe that the Lord pours down blessing when we ask for it. He pours down blessing. But what's interesting is he never thought of the torture 
that he was going to go through getting there. So between, between this time of the dreams and the times when his brothers are going to be bowing down to him, it's going to be a period of uh, 1727. It's going to be a period of a decade and a half, like 15 years or more. It's going to be a long time. It's going to be, it's going to be even longer than that, maybe 20 years. It's going to be a long time. He's going to undergo imprisonment. He's going to undergo uh, 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 where people were, were, were trying to kill him. He's going to undergo uh, just tortures of all sorts, which we're going to look at. But you don't dream. When you're young, you don't dream about all the things you're going to have to go through to get there. You dream about the end. And that's what he was doing. You know, between, between uh, uh, where Jesus was and the resurrection... There was the cross. There was the cross between it. Let's look. Let's look in. Uh, in. Uh, um, in Hebrews chapter twelve. In Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. Beautiful, beautiful portion. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse two. It says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, remember, we are to take the Word of God and look at it very precisely. The Word of God is not a bunch of generalities. It is not. The Word of God is highly specific. It says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Boom! I am going to focus on you, Jesus. I am going to focus on you. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the author of it and He's the perfecter of it. Who for the joy set before him, he saw that joy. He saw that joy of the redemption of these people whom he loved. He was going to redeem, be the redeemer for the world to all those who would receive him. The joy of that was set before him. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew that the cross was between him and getting to that place of joy despising the shame. It was shameful. It says, it, it, the Bible says, says uh, it is shameful for anyone who is to be hung upon a tree. He despising the shame. It's not like, oh, I'm really looking forward to that cross. That's going to be so much fun. I'm really going to love being just stripped and hung on a cross before the crowds. No, he was despising the shame. But he endured it for the joy set before him. And now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what's our role in this? Verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. In your careers, you are going to come to things in your career where there's going to be hardships between now and where you want to be in your career. There's going to be hardships. There's hardships in life. There's going to be things that come against you. You know, at one point, I remember, um, uh, in, in fact, Laura's on the phone. She may remember. Do you remember when I put the, 
the book by Hugh Ross and the mailboxes of everybody, of all the students. Yes, yeah, so she's nodding. Yes, she remembers that because she was a student at Rice at the time. And uh, what had happened is Rick Smalley had recently passed away and he had read a manuscript of that book by Hugh Ross and he told me, and he says, wow, this is amazing. He had recently come to the Lord and he said, if, if any scientist would read that, 50% of them would become Christians. And I, I thought that was a little bit optimistic, but so I, I bought copies for all the faculty and for all my students, all my students in my group and all the students who had been in Rick's group. And that was a lot of copies. And, and they were not in soft cover yet. So it was hard copies of all of them. And, uh, you know, as, as, as Paul said, I will gladly spend and be expended for your souls, Paul said. I would gladly spend and be expended for your souls. I gladly spend money to get people saved. I will gladly do it. I'm, I'm cheap with everything. I mean, remember, I'm Jewish. I'm cheap with everything. But when it comes to the salvation of people, I will gladly spend and be expended for your souls. And so I bought books and put it in everybody's mailbox. The next day, I went into a faculty meeting and everybody was looking at me in the faculty meeting. And I didn't know what we're doing. And, and, uh, and then they were just, and I thought, uh-oh, the book, the book. <laughs> and, uh, and then it was a short time after that that I invited Hugh Ross to campus to speak. And I had gone into not a general faculty meeting, but a, but a subgroup of the faculty were meeting at one point. And I had sent out an email to the department inviting them to this talk by Hugh Ross, who is going to be speaking on, uh, he spe speaks on the fine-tuning of the universe and how that bespeaks of, of all this, this great creator. And uh, I don't know if, Laura, you remember that I sent that email to the whole department. But in any case, I sent it to the department and... And uh, I went into this faculty meeting, and one faculty, meter, one faculty member, just before the meeting started, said, I cannot stay in this room with Jim after the email that he sent to the department. He said it was totally inappropriate, and he got up and he walked out. And I'm looking around saying, who is this Jim guy that has sent an inappropriate email? I was clueless. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I'm looking around, and everybody's looking at me. Oh, that email? That's what bothered him? It was just an invitation to this thing. If you didn't like it, just delete it. And so the person running the meeting said, okay, everybody go around and just comment on what you think of that and what you think of this whole situation. And so they started going around and each person said things and the assistant professors ran out. They weren't going to you know, sit there and criticize me when I'm going to be, you know, judging their tenure decision. They ran out. And they went around, and one woman said, you, you, meaning me, you, you once gave me a Bible. I said, oh, uh, uh, I don't remember, but I may have because I hand out a lot of Bibles. And, uh, um, I, I do remember you were struggling at one point early on in your career, and I, took you out for lunch at the faculty club, and I, I remember bringing you back to my office and giving you something. It may well have been a Bible. I give a lot of them out. She said, you, you remind me of my mother. My mother does things like that. And then, you know, they went around and they all commented, and one guy came to me and he says, there are three axes of evil in this world. One of them is, 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 uh, is Holocaust denial. 
And another one is child pornography. And the third is intelligent design. Uh, intelligent design is one of the three axes of evil. And then after she, everybody got done, it was. Like, she said, maybe we should go around again and other people... I said, can I say something? Do I, <laughs> so I felt totally beat up on this thing. And anyway, the guy, the, the way it worked out, it was an amazing thing that worked out, is that they said, you have to go back and apologize to that guy that you so offended. I said, I should apologize to him? He left the room. He said what he wanted to say. He really said, and uh, uh, I said, okay, I'll apologize to him. I'll overcome evil with good. I just, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do whatever you want here. And uh, so, and then I had to leave town right after that. I called him on the phone. He wasn't there. I didn't want to send him an email. I wanted to talk to him. And so then I, I had to leave for the airport. I remember I flew to, to California and I was in the hotel that night and I just felt, you know, totally devastated. My whole faculty came against me. And, uh, and, and I just invited them to a, you know, some talk. And, and the whole faculty had come against me like this. And then God spoke to me. He says, he said, uh, that person that came against you and left the room, I'll deal with them. And he gave me a verse from scripture. And, and when you saturate your mind with verses, God just speaks to that. And I thought of, of Pilate's wife, the governor, Pilate, his wife came to him and said, I, have nothing to do with that righteous man when she was speaking of Jesus. Have nothing to do with that righteous man for I, I suffered greatly last night in a dream because of him. So God was just speaking to my heart through that, that this guy, he was going to deal with him that evening. Well, the next morning I got up and when I was checking my email, there was this long email from that very guy. He had written to everybody who had been in that faculty meeting in the room and he had apologized. He says, I had written a long email justifying myself, but I couldn't sleep last night. And I just want to say, I've reconsidered. It was very wrong of me to have said about Jim Tour what I said. He's been such a great faculty member, such a blessing, to, such a, uh, an advance to this department. And, and uh, he says, I think I will regret for the rest of my career what I said about him. And, and uh, uh, because after he had left the room, he also sent an email to the entire department suggesting that they all cut me off from their email system, all block me. And, and uh, so, so when I got back to Houston, I saw him at a seminar and I walked up to him and he says, I'm so sorry. I said, look, don't worry about it. I am the master at saying things that I regret. Don't worry about it. And, you know, because I've learned that if I say to somebody of the world, uh, um, you're forgiven, they take that as condescending. So I just say, don't worry about it. And, and I said, you know, so I wanted to take upon him, I wanted him to know, look, I say a lot of things I regret, don't worry. That guy later on became the, the, uh, uh, moved up in the administration at my, at, at my suggestion to the higher administration that they accept this guy. He has been an advocate to me throughout my time. Since he's been in administration, he's always supported me and taken care of me. One time when I was low on research funds, they spotted me funds through the university. I mean, amazing help he's been to me. You overcome evil with good. When you're in your career, you testify of Jesus. Things like that are going to come against you. That, that was like a punch in the stomach to me. Things come against you. He gives you a vision that's way out here, a dream. 
there's a lot of crosses on the way, little crosses, not like a Jesus-sized cross, but little crosses on the way to that. There are a lot of little crosses on the way to that. And a lot of things that you endure. But you overcome the evil with good. You overcome the evil with good. This brother doesn't say to his... This Joseph doesn't say to his older brothers, Well, you'll see. Yeah, you'll see. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's just trusting for what's going to happen, for what the future holds there, for the things that are going to take place in that. He's just trusting. He's just believing. And uh, we're going to see the outcome of this. You have dreams. God bless you in those dreams. The Lord has given me, when I, when I, was, when I was a teenager, when I was like 19, 20 years old, He gave me verses in the Bible that I thought were really about my career. Because that's what I used to dream about. Am I going to be successful? And I still hold on to those verses and I got them highlighted in my Bible and I read those things and every time I'm reading the Scriptures and I see that verse again, I'm like, that's the verse you gave me. When I was 20 years old, that's the promise you gave me. That's the promise you gave me. And you are fulfilling that promise still today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you hold on to those. You hold on to those promises. And and you, you, you set your eyes for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. You will endure hostility by sinners. It will be nothing to what he endured. I guarantee you it will be nothing to what he endured. In fact, if you say, wow, you endured such persecution. I've endured zero persecution in my life on biblical terms. In the book of Hebrews it says, you have not yet suffered to the point of shedding blood. So that seems to be the threshold of, 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 of persecution. I've never shed any blood. So I've never had persecution in a biblical sense. I've just not had it. And uh, uh, so whatever I've had is kindergarten level persecution. There are these little crosses before you get to this point so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We do not grow weary and lose heart. And that's what we're going to see with Joseph. That guy did not grow weary. He did not lose heart. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, for the believers on this call today, that they would not grow weary and lose heart. And as they dream about things and they dream about their future and they dream about their careers and what their families might be like, Father, I pray that they would learn, learn to walk in obedience to the word of God and that they would see your blessing throughout. Father, I pray for your grace upon them, that they would see your blessing throughout. And Lord, I pray for the unbelievers on this call, that they would learn to take and extract from the things of, of this, this conversation, and that they would say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Father, I pray that you draw them to Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, I pray for the believers here. Let them be strong in your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Let them endure innocently, innocently like Joseph, innocently enduring the ridicule from his brothers, innocently enduring that, that they would innocently endure these things, knowing that you will come through and do a great thing through it. Father, change their hearts, I pray, to be in conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Change them, I pray for the glory of Jesus and in His name. Amen.